On this episode of Right On Radio, Satan chose her, but God had a different plan. Right On Radio. Right On Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, what a show I have for you today. If you've been following the podcast since episode one, you've been seeing that I've been systematically building up to some things to reveal about the real world. As I said in the very first episode, the theme of this whole podcast is live right in the real world. And although I will not tell you how to live, you do need to see the real world for what it is to determine the best way to live. And I hope that you'll join me on the good side of life. So in this episode, I interview someone who was very, very special. She was chosen by Satan himself to fulfill a very specific role in the end times, but God had a much different plan for her. And the this interview, once you listen to it, is going to probably change your life and you will not look at the world in the same way. There's going to be specific revelation in this broadcast that you have never heard before, most likely, even if you're very spiritually in tune with things. But not only that, there is some dark content in this. Although there's no explicit language being used, I would highly recommend that no children listen to this broadcast. If you are an adult, you really should listen to this podcast, even if you don't like hearing some of the subject matter. This is very important to reveal what is going on in the world, and together, knowing this, we can go against it and create a very good place to live. No, I'm not talking about some man-made utopia, but I am talking about the Great Awakening, where we all rise and the place, this place called Earth just gets a lot better to live. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my first guest. Right on, right on, right on. Welcome to Ride On Radio. I am your host. My name is Jeff. I want to thank you for listening to this. And today I have a very special guest. I'm extremely honored to have her on. We actually talked a couple days ago and spent a couple hours rather uh, together. And she has agreed to do this interview. She doesn't do very many interviews. So I'm very pleased. And I will tell you that when you listen to this interview, your life will probably not be the same. And there will be some graphic material discussed in this, and I would highly advise that children are not in the room listening to this. However, this is something you definitely need to listen to. So it is my great pleasure to welcome my guest, Jesse Stevatar. Thank you for joining Right On Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Now, Jesse, your story is one that almost nobody else in the world could tell. Uh, there are other people who have gone through what you did, and you have seen things as a child that no human being should ever see. And before we get into some of those things, I just want to give the audience a, a bigger picture. Uh, I've heard you describe this organization, which a lot of people would know as the Illuminati or the Brotherhood, uh, the people who essentially have run this world for thousands of years. If you could just give a brief description of who they are and what, how big are they and what is their intention? Yeah, so the, um, the proper name really is the, the Brotherhood. And they go all the way back to the Hivites um, from the land of Ur or the land of Canaan from um, that was the land that God called Abraham out of um, when he made him the promise that he'd make him a great nation and give him his own land. So um, it ties all the way back to that time. And then um, Abraham, once he had sons and 
you know, they had sons. So the 12 tribes of Israel became then part of these elite bloodlines that are manifesting today as this Luciferian brotherhood. Um, the tribe of Joseph was given um, two inheritances. So that's how you come up with the number 13 instead of 12. And then you also had Abraham had a son with his maidservant Hagar, um, and that was Ishmael. So Ishmael, then his line became the 14th bloodline um, of these elite individuals um, who served Lucifer um, behind or in guise or behind the scene. Um, a lot of them have cover lives as Christians or as Jewish families. Um, but at the core, they all serve Lucifer or Satan. Now, these people, they've had divine knowledge for thousands of years mm -hmm. serving Lucifer. Lucifer knows the Bible better than I would say most Christians, if not all Christians, because he's had thousands of years to read it and he's actually met the author mm -hmm. of it. So having said that, he's been able to establish great power on this earth. And in fact, if you, you know, when uh, the, after the 40 days of temptation, when the devil said to Jesus, bow down to me, I'm paraphrasing, and I'll give you all of the kings of kingdoms in the world. In other words, he was already claiming that he had all of the kingdoms in the world. Is that right? He does claim that, yes. Um, that is, you know, from what the Bible describes when he was cast from heaven because of his pride, he basically claimed that he was God, that he would rise up as God, um, not only of the earth, but of the heavens. And that's when God cast him down to the earth. And, um, you know, his agenda still to this day is that he will rise up and usurp the throne of God and be God. And so these 13 families um, are all part of that that agenda so there's 13 families and these families today and and i know that you are able to name some names and not able to name other names and you know for the point of this part of the conversation i don't think it's important to name the names but it is heads of state it's royal mm -hmm. families it's in law enforcement. They're people high up in the churches. They've actually infiltrated every aspect of our society. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and it's a pretty huge infiltration. Um, you know, we were talking yesterday about, you know, that probably one out of every six individuals in, just in America is involved in this. Um, I would go as far as to say even you know, one out of every two, um, you know, not everybody may be aware that they are actively involved. Um, but in some part, they're participating in the system, whether they know it or not. Well, the system has programmed people uh, through media, through movies, through all kinds of things to normalize certain behaviors that are actually in worship of Satan and even Christians are doing things that are in worship of Satan today. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, you see it in everything. So, you know, especially in TV and media, um, programs like Disney, you know, they're putting out stuff that's um, programming children. Um, it, it's pretty vast. You know, it's in the education system. Um, I've shared some stories, you know, where I grew up going to, like, I'd show up at school at first, but then would be taken out of school for some of the training that I had to do. Um, they would always mark me present, but I was rarely ever actually in school. So um, even the schools, the, at least some of the schools, the select schools, or they have individuals, individuals placed in these schools to... Yeah monitor and protect this system 
Yeah, I had my school, you know, it was a regular public school, but almost everybody who was there was involved at some level and would cover up, um, you know, that the children really were not there, that we were in training someplace else. This, this is staggering for anyone to hear, and particularly if you haven't believed in God and you don't believe in the devil, but this is absolutely real. And Jesse has had firsthand accounts with this. Jesse has met the Antichrist herself uh, on more than one occasion, and we're going to get into some of this. But just to understand the size and the scope, and, and I want to inject a positive note because so far this seems pretty dire the world you know every you know every sixth house away from you is a satanist is a is not a positive thing uh jesse from some of the research that i've done and and some observations that have been happening in the last couple of years in particular it seems that his control uh that is the enemy uh, lucifer's control has been waning for a short period of time do you see that I do see that, um, you know, even scripture talks about that, that there will be, you know, a period of time that the Lord allows where he will be bringing the captives out of the darkness. Um, some of the select verses that talk about that are in Micah 4, where the Lord says, you know, I will bring out the lame and the afflicted and the oppressed, and I will make them into a mighty army. Um, some of those passages talk about, you know, these people out of the darkness rising up on the mountains and singing the praises of the Lord. Um, you know, and the praises are because he's redeemed them with such a great price. So we see that all throughout scripture. Um, this concept of God, you know, revealing what's in the darkness. And with that, he's revealing the captives and bringing them out. And I absolutely see that. And, you know, this is, this is a topic I do want to cover with you. And perhaps you'll grace us with, a, with another interview or two after this. But I think there's also a warning in there. Uh, and it comes from Exodus. And, you know, there were, the, and I, I see a bit of a parallel in the times when, you know, the captives were set free. But then, you know, life was good. And they didn't uh, stick to it, and I, I think there's maybe just a, a warning that we should discuss in a future topic. So just getting back, and I, and I want to start with your, your childhood, and just as we get into that, I want to transition into it by saying you had mentioned that there's the 13 families and the 13 bloodlines. Now, you were actually chosen for your role, which is a very significant role in this because of your bloodlines yep uh the bloodlines as well as spiritual gifts um so with that you know i my family line is made up of about 10 of those bloodlines um these families have spent a lot of time um throughout history doing genetics and you know in a way select we could call it breeding selection um, so they've, you know, found a way to breed certain families together and certain individuals that have certain spiritual gifts, and then the offspring then are more likely to have the spiritual gifts that um, the system is looking for. So that was what happened in my case was that, um, you know, they've spent generations um interbreeding for this select position and um you know i was born with the high level of the prophetic the intercessory and the spiritual discernment gift where i could see here and feel in the spirit world and that was vital for the connection that they wanted um the future mother you know queen mother of darkness to have with satan um, you have to be able to hear and see and sense him to be able to communicate with him and the other demonic generals. So, so again, we're talking about huge amount of sophistication 
in the spiritual things, uh, not only in just in business and things, but in the spiritual, which really the spiritual controls the world. Anything that happens in this world is created in the spirit first. And you had mentioned the mothers of darkness and everything. And, and, I, and I really want to start off with, with kind of a normal childhood that you experienced. But before I do, just this, you had mentioned this was hundreds of years in the planning. And really the culmination of this was going to be for April of this year. And, and we'll get into that perhaps a, a little bit later in the interview, but I just want to say this was really well planned and, and Jesse was placed very specifically for a high role. So let's just start out kind of at the beginning because you were, you were a young person. Uh, you ended up, going to church with with your family and you became saved by the lord jesus christ before mm -hmm. you entered into this satanic cult and that's going to be very hard for people to get their heads around but yeah why don't you, you just kind of give us a, an overview and i'm just going to let you be a talk here for a little bit uh without too much interruption yeah so um i was born into a family where one side of my family were um what i would call your you know holiday christians you know they attended sunday service once in a while primarily on holidays and um, that was at a lutheran church and then the other side of my family were very devout catholics so they you know attended mass regularly and confession and um all of the things that they were supposed to do for their faith background um so with that, you know, the story really goes back to my mother that she grew up in this Catholic household. And, um, you know, as she did, she experienced some of these, you know, this cover life that they were living, that their, their Christianity, their faith was, was really a cover for what was really going on behind the scenes in this family. And uh, there were certain relatives who, you know, were involved in this Luciferian brotherhood behind the scenes and um so you know she experienced a lot of abuse from them and um when she was 18 she fled from the family um you know she had grown up like she had some memories the things that she tried to share or the memories that she had that she vocalized they really would downplay and tell her that she was crazy um, that it was made up, that it was her imagination, that she was lying. So she, you know, really, really struggled. There was nobody to listen, nobody to believe her. So the best thing that she could do was, you know, just flee, you know, and she thought she'd be safe in the military. Um, they allowed her to do that, and that's where she met my father and married and um shortly after you know they had me and stuff and um anyway um long story short a couple years later when i was two we had our house pipes freeze and we had to move in with my one of my dad's um brothers and he was a christian and he and his wife began to witness to my mom and uh, ended up asking us to go to church with them. And so it was there, you know, at that church that that's where I started really hearing the word of God and um, a lot of hymns and songs. And that was through um, this little old lady who worked in the nursery. And I, you know, I'm pretty sure I was the only child in there um, at the time, but I'm really thankful she was not somebody to water down the word of God, even though I was, you know, this little toddler, you know, she'd sit me on her lap and open up that Bible and she'd just start reading from the actual word of God. And, um, you know, I can remember even at that young age that my heart would leap when I would hear the word of God and I knew it was true. And, um, in fact, like, you know, when she read me the story of John the Baptist and, you know, she kind of had paraphrased a couple of things and had said, you know, that he cried out, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming. Um, 
I then, you know, took that phrase and I started telling everybody wherever we were, if we went to the grocery store, you know, I was telling them, get ready, Jesus is coming, you know. And um, that one thing, you know, I, I knew was true even at that young age. And so all of that was really vital. Um, you know, this woman, the just her reading the real word of God to me and singing these old hymns and, you know, teaching me some of the, you know, Baptist children's Bible songs that they teach, like, you know, the B-I-B-L-E and, um, you know, we're an army of the Lord. And some of those, those ended up becoming you know, the weapons that I had going into this occultic training, um, you know, I didn't have people that I could turn to once that training started, um, you know, that I could tell what was going on. I had no idea about, you know, what spiritual warfare was. You know, I literally was face to face with the enemy every day. And, um, you know, had to kind of learn, the, the Lord himself had to teach me, you know, how to um, overcome in those situations. Um, you know, I wasn't like some of the other children, and I'm not trying to compare in a bad way, but um, with my position, um, I went through the program, but I was not programmed. Um, so with that, um, you know, a lot of times when they select children to carry out a position in the system, they, they will mentally program you. Um, their, their base program is called Monarch, and um, that, um, you know, it has a lot of different forms. So some people might hear, you know, of MK Ultra or the Delta program or Carousel. Those are all different forms of this monarch programming. And what it does is that with each step, you know, I kind of compare it to a business model and the program is like the file cabinet or filing system. Mm. Um, so as they, you know, they put you into these situations with these traumatic events that are meant to make somebody disassociate and as you disassociate, um, they'll link um, these, you know, demonic spirit beings to you. And these spirits will keep you from remembering the traumatic event unless they want you to access that file. Um, and, and you were not programmed. Was it because you had some protection on you or because of the person you were to become within this system and yeah. that position needed someone to be uh, a free thinker, I guess. Right. It, it wasn't even the free thinker. Um, you know, my job was to know the system and to know how it runs and to be able to ensure that it was running properly. So with that, um, you know, they needed me not to be programmed. Um, it didn't mean that, you know, I was, exempt from any of the traumatic events, you know, part of the testing for me taking that position was that I had to learn to really cope with, with the evil that I saw. Um, I didn't have a chance to self-medicate or, you know, disassociate at all. Um, it was just pure, you know, having to cope with that. And, and so I want to get into where your training started. And just before I do, because I've heard uh, other interviews with you, Jesse, uh, it seemed to me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but even the marriage of your parents seemed to be somewhat orchestrated and, and how you were moved around was orchestrated. And then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a toddler, after having this experience with this this lady and, and giving you the, the tools that you needed and in the Lord and, and, you know, really becoming a Christian at such a young age with your, your soul leaping out, hearing his word, because you're so sensitive to the spirit. But then you ended up moving to Chicago and moving in with some family members. And that's really where this story in the system or the brotherhood began for you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so Chicago was the main place. Um, and, and how old were you here at Chicago? Um, about four and a half. So that was the main uh, training center that they had me center. <coughs> um, and that was through the Cathedral of St. Peter's there in Rockford, Illinois. And so the Satanic Training Center in a cathedral. Yep. Okay. So introduce me to, walk me through that first day when you arrived at the home you would be staying with in Chicago. Um, I probably can't talk about the exact first day at the home, um, but it was shortly after that I had got there um, in, I think one of the first things that happened was that um, they had, they collected me with some other children, about 20 kids, in a classroom. And um, it was, I want to say it was our first day of kindergarten, um, but it was either the first day or it was like a meeting day where you got to go and meet the teachers. And um, from what I remember, they there were several of the mothers of darkness who were present there. And they had this special box with all these different occultic items in them. Um, so, you know, they had us all sit in a circle and in the middle, they made another circle with all these occultic items. So, you know, they had things like a feather and a black shawl and a candle and, um, you know, a tarot card, just, you know, strange you know, things that we didn't even know what they were at that time. And um, they told us that we were going to play a game. And the game was that each of us kids got to get up one by one and we got to pick one of those items. And then we had to put it back down and sit back down where we were in the circle. And I remember as they were, you know, putting out these items and they were explaining things, you know, I was a kind of a funky child and questioned everything. And, you know, in my mind, I thought, huh, boy, th this doesn't seem like a fun game. Like what's the purpose of picking an item if you have to put it back. Right. And when I said some of that stuff, the little boy next to me, he started laughing and we kind of got this weird look and you know, in my mind, I said, can you hear me? And he, he was like, yes, you know. So this individual ended up being, you know, the boy that they trained to be my protector and my training partner. Um, but that was like our first day. And so we went through this selection process and each had to pick our items. And, um, you know, it was done right there in a classroom in a school. And, um, and the purpose so, of choosing these items is to determine your giftings. Yep. It was, it was to choose, it was to show what, um, spirit, like each of those items was connected to a spirit. So it was showing which spirits you were most drawn to and, um, what type of magic you were most drawn to. And, and the other people in the room, you had mentioned these queen mothers of darkness. They're there to observe this so it's unusual yeah. to have you know for anyone who's been in kindergarten you have a teacher you have the students but in this case there's right. a, a bunch of of well uh, parent type people i guess yep. inside the room they 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 would come in uh claiming to be volunteers um so you know if anybody would have come in that day it would have looked just like volunteers playing this game with kids um, nobody had any, any idea that they were actually, you know, testing for people's positions to go into the Monarch programming. But that's part of the job of the mothers is to, you know, um, discern what spiritual gifts children have, um, what their spiritual abilities are, which um, demonic spirits they can connect them to, and then to... Um, put them into training for the position that they will fit in best in the system according to those spiritual gifts. And, and what item did you choose? 
Well, I didn't know until later that it actually was not one that they had placed. So um, I, <laughs> I chose this, you know, I'll, I'll just say this item and I held it up proudly and, you know, my proctor, which that's another name for, you know, my main trainer, she gave me this weird look and, and she said, what, what did you, what are you doing? And I said, I, I picked my item and she said, and what did you pick? And it was a, a sword. And what I didn't know was that it was completely in the spiritual realm. Um, so everybody who could see it in the spirit realm could see clearly what I had picked. Um, but it, it was not an item that the other people who couldn't see in the spirit realm could see. Um, so right then and there, like the Lord was showing them that I was to be a warrior for God. Um, it really surprised them all. Um, you know, and I found out later that, you know, it was something that the Lord had allowed me to see there and that when I picked it up, they saw it too. And they knew that it was something they had not put there. So at four and a half years old, they're starting to think that you're going to be a thorn in their side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but so, so let's, let's get into these queen mothers things. Uh, first of all, tell me a little bit about what the role of the queen mother of darkness is. And, and if you can, I, I know it's not easy to share but you had quite a uh, an introduction, you might say, with your with your proctor. Yeah. Can you get into the roles and then and then what happened? Yeah. So the role of the the queen mother particularly um, is to you know work in conjunction with Satan hand in hand and to ensure that the system is running exactly as he wants it to run. Um, now, do they communicate with him regularly? Yes. So um, we'd be in meetings every single night with him, and he would dictate word for word his agenda and, you know, exactly what he wanted done then the following day. And, um, and how many of these queen mothers are there? There are five. In the um, world? Yes. I only experienced five. Um, there are some individuals like Fritz Springmeier who claim that there are more than just five. But, you know, in my, by the time I was 10, I was fully trained to take my position. And I never met a single one outside of those five. Um, you know, and I knew the five successors who would take their places. So, um, you know, in my experience, I never knew any other ones. I did know, you know, sometimes the grand high priestesses were also called mothers and they were kind of the face front um, for who the real mothers were. Um, so they would be called mothers. So, you know, I proposed to him that maybe that was where he was getting the extra numbers from. Um, but as far as I knew, there was only five in all of the, you know, end time rituals that we practiced for um, only involved those five. So end time rituals and you were chosen to be part of this end time ritual, which sounds significant to say that we're in end times because, you know, ever since you know, Jesus was on the cross, you know, we've been in the end times. Essentially, the clock has been ticking down, but it sounds like it's getting close. No one knows the date. No one knows the time. Right. Exactly. Uh, but we're we're in a season for certain. Mm -hmm. So, tell me about how you learned that you were going to be the successor, and you were about four and a half years old at this time, still, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so, actually, that was it. Was literally decreed by Satan. Um, so they had put me through a series of tests after that first initial testing day. Um, some of that involved um, seven individuals who were at least high priest or satanic councilmen. 
uh, and some of them were, um, or I'll say two of them were mothers of darkness. Um, so, you know, besides Satan telling them that I was going to be the chosen successor because of my gifts, they also read the tarot cards. And what was interesting was that usually when they're reading, doing these readings, they'll all turn out different or, you know, they might get something similar, but with it, every single one of them pulled the exact same cards and those cards told each of them that I would be, that I was an enemy of the system and that I would be part of tearing it down and destroying it. Um, so <laughs> that was very interesting. Um, ironically, I had a, when I first started doing my David Zublick show, um, I had a, a woman who also, you know, she found, heard my show and she did a tarot reading and she pulled all the exact same cards except for the last one. So that was interesting. Eight times in my life, <laughs> every single time they get the exact same answer. Um, but so these individuals, yeah, they, you know, they knew from the very beginning that I was chosen by God for something specific. Um, you know, I question why Satan went ahead and chose me. Well, he wants knowing, what's God, and that would be an affront yeah, to God, wouldn't it? It would. Um, you know, so he, you know, I can remember my proctor would argue with him, and she she was dead set on killing me. There was times, you know, she attempted to do so in spite of what he had decreed. And at one point, you know, he even jacked her up against the wall and told her that she would be obedient and take me as her successor. Um, so with that, when in that system, as soon as you have a successor for the Mothers of Darkness, um, they then will take their position. So when I first came on, my proctor was not yet the Queen Mother. Um, she was the successor to the Queen Mother at that time. Um, so one of the, the very first murder that I ever saw was when she took the life of um, the Queen Mother at that time and took her position. Um, with that, it's a very specific ritual. Um, I'll give a little graphic warning here. Um, but they take the head of whoever is the Queen Mother and that's how they take their position then. And you witnessed this at such a young age. Yeah. And how do they keep you from talking? Because, you know, although you might not be able to articulate things, uh, you, you know, certainly you've learned to communicate by that age. How do they keep you silent after seeing something like that? Well, a lot of it, is, they take lives. So, um, you know, there's always the threat that they'll take the lives of those that you love. Um, so, you know, a lot of times, well, I saw probably, you know, over a thousand deaths a month just at the hand of my proctor. And uh, how many? I'm sorry? A thousand. A thousand deaths a month. Um, and that was just at her hands. And that was because I would refuse to participate. Um, or I would try to tell, I actually did try to tell, you know, whoever I could. So whether it was teachers, um, law enforcement people, uh, pastors, you know, I would just get out one or two words, you know, things like, you know, my family's part of an occult, my family, you know, serves Satan. <laughs> You know, my family kills babies and children and, you know, they would immediately shut me off and not listen any further. And then, you know, that day or the next day, I would have to watch children or people die. And, it, you know, they would say, you know, good people don't tell family secrets. Good people, you know, shut their mouth. Good people don't don't talk and so that was one of the ways that they tried to control um as as i got older 
and as I attempted to tell more and more, what they did is that the deaths that I had to observe would get more and more graphic. Um, you know, and, and so not just be a matter of just, you know, a quick death for somebody. I'd have to sit there and watch, you know, somebody be tortured um, horrifically and crying out for mercy. Um, you know, if I attempted to intervene, if I cried, if I, um, you know, said anything, then they would make it longer and more horrific for that person. And these people that they target for these killings, where do they come from? Um, they came from a lot of different places. Sometimes it would be, you know, a homeless person that they found on the street. Sometimes it would be um, somebody out of the system who was trying to defect or get out or run away. Um, sometimes it would be, you know, random children that I didn't know who I assume, you know, came out of the breeder program that was there in Chicago or, uh, you know, one of the, ex they called them expendable children. And, and those were the children in the system that, um, you know, they had chosen to either be used for trafficking uh, sexually or for ritual um, death or killing. Um, so sometimes it was those children that were chosen so, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to make a very big point here. And the reason why this interview is so important for you to listen to is on an average year in the United States alone, over 800,000 children go missing. A lot of these children, when you, when you see the situations with these caravans coming up, you know, these orchestrated paid for caravans of people of tens of thousands of people crossing the border and stuff, they are undocumented. When they go missing, there is no record. So it's not exclusively them. It could be you know, your kid playing in front of a school if they're unattended. Kids are going missing all the time. And not only that, but adults are put into system and trafficked and horrible things happen to people, in fact, atrocities that are just beyond what you can imagine is what's going on here. And I think we'll get into that a, a little bit, but I want to make that point. And, and actually, while I'm just speaking, I want to mention as well that, you know, Jesse has come forward because she's actually helping to get people out of the system. Jesse is helping people to survive this system and she's been working with quite a few teams of people uh probably uh i know she can't comment on this but i will just say probably in a private public partnership and there are literally thousands of kids being rescued right now and people coming out of the system and she has made this her life mission and this is part of the reason why we are so fortunate to have her telling this story today. Did I say anything wrong there, Jesse? Yeah, no, you didn't say anything wrong there at all. So let's, you know, I, I don't want to focus on the evil as much in this interview. However, you know, the, the theme of the show is live right in the real world, and you can't live right, whatever that is to you, uh, unless you understand what the real world is. And this brotherhood or cult, they have many different revenue sources. Uh, certainly, they, they're in the top banking industries. They're, you know, they have very big positions and big companies. But they're also heavily involved in some, I guess they would say, black operations. And you had mentioned the human trafficking part of that. Can you just tell me a little bit about how they facilitate this? How does it happen with no one seeing? Um, part of that is because they have such a wide variety of people who are strategically placed in positions that allowed, you know, easy cover up for this. Um, so, 
you know, it depends. They've got a couple different avenues. First, you had brought out that they do, you know, they have the underground um, breeder programs where, you know, they have girls who are anywhere from age, you know, 10 to, you know, 20s, mid 20s. Um, these girls are selected and are bred to have babies. These babies are born never being documented, never having a birth certificate, never having a death certificate. Um, so that's one of the revenues that they use. Um, the other one is that they do kidnap or um, they work in conjunction with some of the hospitals or the CPS, the DHS offices. Um, so these are the these trusted places yeah. that you think you would call if you needed help for your kids. That's right. Yeah. The people that, you know, that we feel we could trust are actually the very ones who are scoping out. Um, you know, they're using the hospitals from the moment they prick a child's foot. They know what that child's bloodline and spiritual gifts are. So they'll watch that child and decide if they want to take them or not. Um, if they want to take them, a lot of times they'll find a way, um, you know, to implicate the parent or the parent and they'll send in CPS and they will take that child and put them into foster care homes. Um, then you've got lawmakers who have made it so, you know, some states like California, I think if, if a child is in CPS for 12 or 14 months, they automatically will get adopted out. So this way they make it so that the parents can never get their child back. Um, they've placed judges in the court <coughs> system. A lot of them will use family court um, to gain control of these children. Um, and then, you know, we've got some cases where literally you know, they adopt the child out and then the child is taken internationally. Uh, their birth certificates are erased and, um, you know, because they have no birth certificate, there's no way to track where that child has gone. Um, it makes it impossible for these families to get their children back. Now, again, this is a bit graphic, but it's important that you understand what is really going on in this world and how big this is. And and I say this specifically to anyone who is Christian, uh, because we have not paid attention, because we have not done anything, we've actually allowed this to happen. And this broadcast is a wake-up call to anyone, Christian or non-Christian, who cares about this world we need to start exposing this and getting involved. It's one thing to sit on the couch and hope the someone will else will do it, but I'm providing a call to action here. So to really get you involved, I'm gonna actually ask Jesse to get into an area that I, I almost really don't wanna cover because once I learned of this and how how big it is, um, I, well, I cried for a couple days. I, I really did. Um, and so this is a warning uh, to you, but it's, it's something you should listen to. A lot of these children, Jesse, uh, are sex trafficked. As you mentioned, they're used as pawns. They're used by people who are the people you respect the most in the entertainment industry, in big industry, um, elites and, and others, of course. But they also do something to extract a drug. Can you talk about what that drug is and the process, how they acquire it? Yeah, so um, there's actually two drugs that they, they go after. Um, one is adrenochrome and they extract that from the adrenal glands. Um, the other is from the uh, penile glands and that's a type of um, natural steroid that occurs in the body. 
Um, so both of these, they for the hybrid drug, they procure both together. And um, the normal process for it is, you know, it usually ends in a child's death. Um, they will cause the child to really be terrified and afraid. Um, that happens in graphic ways, whether it's, you know, it usually involves a sort of torture, whether sexually or physically, um, it even could be emotionally. Um, once the child is very fearful, the adrenal goes into their bloodstream. And so, um, you know, they've got warehouses where they literally will have children in these big wine vats and they will be draining all their blood. Um, they also do the same thing with elderly. Um, you know, as a kid, I saw, you know, rows and rows in this massive warehouse. It was like they had airplane seats back to back um, just for, you know, miles. And they'd have elderly people strapped in there and they were so weak, they couldn't do anything. And they just, you know, every day just would keep taking a couple pints and um, until those people died. Um, the same thing with the children, you know, they just keep taking the blood, making them fearful, extracting the blood. And then um, they then harvest that and, you know, take use that blood and take the adrenal out of it. Um, that's like their long-term process for the mass accumulation of this drug. Um, they also procure it in rituals, which that tends to be more graphic than the mass warehouses. Um, you know, what I saw as a child is, um, I'm going to try not to go too graphic here for the sake of your audience. Um, but they would um, do stuff to either access the penile gland through the face um, or, you know, the adrenal glands. And usually that involved, um, you know, cutting into the child um, or, you know, making them really afraid and cutting their throat. And, you know, this is while they're them. alive, obviously, to yeah. be afraid. Yep. Now, yeah, so all of it was they were alive when they would do this. And the demand for this drug is so outrageous yeah. that they literally, this is a big manufacturing process. And, you know, I guess one of the analogies I would say to this, and, and listen, if you ever... <laughs> Please do not be inspired to go look for this drug. Don't even search it out. Um, if you do, I would say there's eternal consequences for you and nothing is worth it. But these people feel that they get special powers from it. Mm -hmm. They feel it's a fountain of youth. If you look at some people, they seem to not age. And then recently, we've I think there's a shortage of this drug recently because you see some Hollywood stars not looking so good lately and they're in the public eye. So I only point out Hollywood in that, but they also feel they get spiritual powers. And I guess an analogy that I would think of is if, if a car was flipped over and it's someone you loved in there, you know, it's been reported that you get this adrenaline and you get this kind of superhuman strength. Well, they think that they get that. Plus there's a spiritual aspect to it. Can you talk about the spiritual aspect that they think they get from this? Yeah, um, well, I did experience that as well. Um, so they would do tests with us. Um, you know, for most of the high-level elites, they, they have a special proof of this stuff that they take on a daily basis. And, you know, I would basically say that they were functioning adrenochromics. So you know that they're so used to being on this small amount every day you know it gives them energy it it keeps them going so you see some of these hollywood stars where they're just go 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 and only a couple hours of sleep every day yet they've always got all this energy um so that's partly due to that um but then during rituals they'll take 
a higher amount, which then does cause psychosis for them. Um, go ahead. And these rituals, how many times a year do these rituals take place? And, and when there's rituals, are all of these people involved that they're, they're actually worshiping Satan, do they all partake in different areas? Um, there's only four times a year where everybody in every quadrant around the world is involved. Um, otherwise, they, they circulate the rituals through the different quadrants. So you'll see, you know, these people traveling to different areas around the world um, for these ritual events. Um, you know, usually the quadrants take turns hosting them. So... And so we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of people potentially worldwide participating in yeah. this. So message to the church, wake up. These people are organized. They're praying against you. Mm -hmm. They're activating spiritually. They have spiritual knowledge that is very sophisticated, and they're doing it against us. The good news is God is way bigger. Amen to that. <laughs> but we, we need to realize what we need to pray against. And is prayer an effective weapon? Can you tell of a time, Jesse, that prayer really worked as an effective weapon while you were in the system? Yeah. Um, actually, you know, the majority of every day, you know, I was praying as a child. And, um, you know, one of the most significant times um you know, I literally faced off with, uh, with Moloch and, um, I was involved in an experiment where he was the demonic general that they summoned. And, um, in that experiment, he, as he was coming through the gate, he literally was lurching towards my training partner and, um, you know, was going to possess him. And I just started praying and I said, Lord, you know, close the gate. And by that, you know, that was the summoning circle he was coming through. And literally the Lord right there stopped Moloch. He was stuck halfway in between the floor. And um, so I was behind him, like seeing his back side. And my training partner was looking him face to face. And, um, you know, we just started praying and Moloch literally was throwing a temper tantrum, you know, that he was mad that he was stuck in that floor. And um, so, you know, from that moment on, he, he did not get to have anything to do with my training partner. And years later, I ran into, you know, the high level Luciferian who is one of his hosts. And that person said to me, you know, he's like, my demon absolutely hates you and he wants to kill you. Why is that? And I just said, well, you know, I don't usually encourage people to talk to demons, but I'm going to ask that the Lord will allow him to answer that question for you. And so he went back and had a conversation and Molik brought out that it was because he had got stuck in the floor when he was trying to come through and didn't get to host the, you know, the host that he wanted. So, you know, even after all these years, it was interesting that the Lord still, you know, that he provided that protection over me and my training partner from this high level demon. That's such an incredible story. And, you know, of course, Moloch is mentioned in the Bible Yep. And, you know, the sacrifices to Moloch, uh, by the way, side note, uh, would you consider abortion sacrifices to Moloch? They are. Yeah. And there's, what, about a, a million in the United States alone every year? Yeah. Does this, does this give the demons energy? Um... I don't is, know if I'd say them energy. They're, yeah, it more has to do with their bloodlust and their bloodthirst. Now, you mentioned a, a, several things that are just breathtaking, but um, first of all, you mentioned gates, and you mentioned demonic possession, 
And you mentioned that these people communicated with the demons. And I, I don't want to focus on the other side so much. Mm-hmm. But so there, there's, there's gateways that these demons come through. So that leads me to make an assumption that hell is actually beneath us. Mm-hmm. Would you have specific knowledge on that? Yeah, so the spiritual gates um, originally were, in Genesis, it talks about um, the firmament that was above the earth and below the earth. And there were these gateways that were the hold it or the containers that held the water for the that firmament. And so scripture talks about in Noah's day, uh, when the flood came upon the earth because of men's wickedness, that the Lord caused the the gates that were below the earth and the gates above the earth to release their water. Um, so that's where the spiritual gates come from, is that they actually were those um, containers that were holding the water. Um, you know, they um, operate off of resonance, harmonics, and frequency. Um, some of that goes in trying to get into some of the science of it for people here um but with the you know bible talks about all of creation's things god's glory so these spiritual gates literally are passageways between the earth and the heavens or between the earth and the lower realms and they are constantly singing um to the lord and so they're accessed that way through song um, or through thanksgiving. Um, a lot of the occultic people, the closest emotion they can get to thanksgiving is ecstasy. So um, they will sometimes use that to access the spiritual gates and get them to open, especially but, in the So they get to a certain frequency, essentially. Yep, certain frequency, and then the gate will open and they have access to that. So they have this sophistication that they figured this out. How can a believer in God or someone who wants to believe in God because they hate what they're hearing about the other side, this is real folks. If they can access demons and let demons come into them and I, can we call on angels? We, we can, yeah. The Bible says that, you know, angels are ministering spirits, but they're also our, our helpers. Um, so we are able to call on them and access them. Um, but we also, you know, as sons of the living God, we're fully equipped through our faith and the armor that we wear. Um, you know, Scripture says that we're commanded pretty much to do four things. You know, the Lord told the disciples, um, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out the demons. So those four things we are commissioned and have the authority to, you know, do here on earth. Um, so for me, you know, I don't even usually call on any angelic beings if I'm encountering a demonic spirit or evil. Um, I simply rebuke it and begin to pray and cast out. But we could call on them. Well, I guess we call on God directly as, uh, yeah. but, you know, could we dispatch them to fight the other end? Because, you know, it's hard for us to, well, most people don't see into the spirit. We don't see a demon walking down the street, right. but the angels do. And the angels have really, well, I don't know if they're put under our command, but they're here to serve us. Mm-hmm. So how could how could we utilize that as a strategy, or or do we need to? Um, we could. I mean, I do work in conjunction with some of them. Um, you know, so d- praying and asking the Lord to dispatch them or for their help if, you know, if there's a lot of activity in your area. Um, I more, you know, pray and ask for them to come and be a shield of protection 
um, you mm. know, to, to stand around, you know, the property where I'm at or to guard my home at night. Um, you know, I've had moments where literally, you know, I walked out of my house and all of a sudden I saw my angelic bodyguard standing around me, you know, where there was just these four angels, one in front of me, one behind me, and, you know, one on each side. Um, so, you know, we do have access to that. We do have that help if we need it. Um, I'm not somebody who, you know, usually I go straight to the Lord in things. So I just got to be honest about that. I'm not. Yeah, we do. That's right. Here. We have direct access <laughs> since the cross, right. right? Right. So, but I know, you know, like I said, you know, there's times I walk out and I have seen my bodyguard. So the Lord has made it very clear that I'm not in this fight alone. Um, you know, that there are, there are angels that are there who are fighting with me on the Lord's side. Um, you know, I just, I'm not somebody who usually communicates with them too often or, um, you know, I just usually communicate with the Lord. So, Well, Jesse, I, I think this is a, a great note to end on because we covered some dark stuff and I want to thank you for joining me here on Right On Radio. And I want to thank you for your wisdom. And if you would join us again, there's some more I would like to dig into. Uh, I would like to expose some more of your training and, you know, just start to give people wisdom so we can start putting in some countermeasures uh, to put this. Uh, I just, one of the things I said to you in our personal conversation before doing this interview, Jesse, is once I learned about all this stuff that's going on, and, and by the way, you're not the only source. I, I've double-checked and triple-checked everything and compared to scripture, and this is all true, but I realize one day I'm going to meet my maker, and I'm not going to stand before him and say, yeah, I knew about it and I did nothing. Right. So... You know, Jesse, would you agree to come back on and do another show with us? And Yeah, I'd love to. And um, in another show, uh, I'm just going to give a teaser, if I may, because you said something that I know every person is going to want to ask some questions about. You saw Satan himself throw your proctor against the wall. You've seen this and... And you've seen him multiple times, and I know that from reading all of your material. Perhaps next time we can start to uh, unravel that mystery a little bit. Yeah, that sounds that sounds exciting. Please remember to like, subscribe, and follow this channel. The more followers we have, the more likes we have, the more it is put into the algorithms of the computer people's funny stuff that lets more people see it. So I want to thank you again for listening. Hey, and don't forget to share it on the internet. My name is Jeff. I'll see you next time on Right On Radio. Who's right? Who's right? He's right. Right On Radio. Right On Radio.